Welcome to this episode of Living and Working Abroad. Nothing can go wrong today. Uh, we're making this um, recording on Friday the 13th. Um, well, it feels like Friday the 13th. It's actually the 13th of the month. Um, but let's see how it goes uh, from here. Uh, welcome along to this show. And we're looking at uh, some of the changes that are coming up and, and the journey ahead into 2024 for expats living and working abroad. So I hope you can all hear me and, and let's dive straight into it. Uh, there's big changes coming up and they were supposed to happen in 2023. Uh, some of them have, some of them are gonna be 24 now and some of them are moved into 25. So let's have a look at those. Um, after Brexit, uh, the EU introduced new rules on uh, traveling into the EU as, as a way of expanding the Schengen zone. The Schengen zone is mainly EU countries, but it includes other countries which aren't in the EU, but are, are closely attached and also some trade um, freedoms. So Switzerland, Iceland, Liechtenstein uh, and Norway are in the Schengen zone uh, and the EEA, but they're not uh, in the EU. The UK now is not in any of those Schengen zones, the EEA or the EU, um, but as an international traveller, you're still allowed visa-free travel to many countries around the world. So UK expats have got one of the uh, most visa-free travel options around the world of any passport holder in the world. And at the moment, uh, visa-free travel means that you need a passport to, to get on a flight and go abroad, but you don't need anything else. Now in the United States or Australia, other countries, you need electronic travel authority to, to go there. And this is what's coming into the uh, Europe next. So uh, from the 15th of November, 23, the UK have introduced electronic travel authorities for certain countries, not for everybody yet, but at the moment it applies from the 15th of November to Qatari citizens. And then that's been expanded to the Middle East citizens from uh, February 24. So big changes there for those people. And eventually the UK's electronic travel authority scheme will apply to any visa-free travel uh, around the world generally. Uh, the EU was supposed to be introducing their own version of this uh, back in uh, uh, 22, then deferred to 23, 24, and now it's deferred to 25 while they apply that. Now, we don't know the full reasons behind that, whether it's to do with an expanding of the Schengen zone or just the technical delays that they've got. Uh, but the electronic travel authority will come into play and therefore anybody entering into uh, the EU uh, they may not need a Schengen visa because they've got visa-free travel into the EU, but they will still need an electronic travel authority. So it won't be enough to travel to France, Portugal, uh, Spain, Cyprus, Greece from the UK on visa-free uh, passport travel uh, without the electronic travel authority in exactly the same way that is the case now with the United States. And you'll need to get this uh, online registration uh, travel authority uh, as part uh, before you can actually uh, check in online with your airline 
to, to enter into a, 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 an EU country. Now this electronic travel authority has been applied within the Schengen zone, so it'll actually include EU countries outside that uh, as well. Now, a couple of reasons for the delay. From November, um, sorry, from December 24, potentially uh, the, the Schengen zone could be expanded. Romania and, and Bulgaria passed all the tests to enter the Schengen zone, but not been officially joined up yet. Cyprus is the other EU country that's outstanding to join the EU Schengen zone. Uh, and, and in that respect, um, uh, they've covered five of the six steps towards qualifying. So they're not quite there yet. So it could be that we've got what we're waiting for with the electronic travel authorities for the Schengen zone to be finalized with Romania, Bulgaria uh, and the UK, um, um, not the UK, but Cyprus being added into it. The UK citizens then traveling to that Schengen zone will need the electronic travel authority, but not a visa to enter the, the, the Schengen zone. Uh, anybody who hasn't got visa free travel into the Europe will need to get a Schengen zone visa and obviously then they don't need the electronic travel authority. The electronic travel authorities are only for um, visa free travel where you're traveling across a border with a passport. So the, these are important changes. So if you've got an overseas holiday home uh, and you want to be able to visit you, the, the, your, your holiday home regularly, you will need to get the electronic travel authority, which will maybe last you a year or maybe 10 years uh, to be able to do that. Um, and, and, and these will come in for EU countries uh, from 2025, unless they defer it again. The UK is, is being rolled out and will eventually include EU travel into the UK as well. For more information and guidance on electronic travel authorities and the impact on travel and residency, um, in the EU uh, for UK expats, contact us at approachpartnership.com. When you're living and working abroad, <clears throat> um, we can work remotely around the corner, but we can also work remotely across border. And, and these options are now available uh, in the 2020s to people um, that, that want to be able to work remotely. So if you've got a uh, uh, an employer that would allow you to work remotely and allow you to work in another country, it doesn't necessarily, it's just not just about you and your, your family. So you could go expat, work remotely, uh, but if you're working for an employer, there's additional issues that you need to consider. Um, in the UK in particular, uh, the UK have got their own rules of uh, IR35. Now this is to avoid people working as a contractor, which are really they're an employee. But it's this is a unique set of uh, uh, legislation that is applied in the UK and, and not in other countries. But the general principle is still the same. If you're an employee uh, abroad and you're working abroad, uh, then generally you can go and work remotely as a nomad for, for three months. If you're more than three months in another country, then technically the employer is then supposed to uh, pay uh, income taxes and social insurances in the country in which you're resident. 
So a, a nomad, an expat, can go and live in, work in another country uh, for six months without becoming a tax resident. But if they're working more than three months, then technically the employer could be obliged to start paying uh, a deducting tax and social insurance at source um, uh, after 90 days. So it's an interesting distinction there. So a nomad could keep moving every three months, um, but then by default, uh, the nomad's uh, country of uh, domicile, uh, their home country, remains their country of tax residence. So let's take an example of that. If uh, a UK person wants to work remotely and then wants to work in another country, if they want to work um, over the winter for up to 90 days, three months, a short stay, they could do that with the employer's consent. Nothing needs to change on the tax or the social insurance side. If uh, a, a British person wants to work for more than three months abroad, um, then technically the employer is then bound after 90 days to, to start deducting and paying tax and social insurance in that other country. Um, the short stay rules, especially in the EU, uh, don't allow you to spend more than 90 and 180 days in a country, um, uh, which is the Schengen zone rules. Um, so once you go beyond that 90 days, you then need a resident permit. So a UK expat to uh, be a nomad working for more than 90 days in any country in six months within the EU needs a resident permit for that country. Uh, now, that then means that you need a, a residence either to own a property or to rent a property for that year to be able to, to work and get that resident permit. And there may be other requirements as well um, uh, to, to continue that. So working as a nomad and keeping on the move could work, but as long as your country domicile is, uh, or, or the employer is still deducting income tax and pay uh, and social insurance at source. Um, proactive experts, experts, so if you need any help and guidance, either working as a contractor, using your own personal service company, or uh, making a change of arrangements with your company uh, so that you can work remotely uh, abroad um, uh, uh, over winter, in the summer, in your holiday home, in your overseas property, contact us at projectpartnership.com. There's been some changes in the uh, UK autumn statement uh, regarding class two. And class two uh, national insurance has been abolished for the self-employed. There's a lot of turmoil in the UK at the moment. And, and 2024 is going to bring about some big changes with uh, uh, government elections in, in the USA, France uh, and the UK. Uh, providing that the finance bill as described in the autumn statement of 23 gets uh, uh, applied from January 23, uh, self-employed people in the UK no longer need to, to pay for class uh, 2 national insurance. However, a self-employed person based in the UK uh, would still pay class four. 
Um, so class four has been reduced in rate by 2%. So it is a, it's still a tax saving applies to them. So a self-employed contractor, either self-employed as a sole trader or self-employed with a personal service company in the UK is saving the £190 a year for class two plus a 2% saving on their profits uh, on class four national insurance. When you go expat, uh, all that UK national insurance does for you is contribute towards a state pension. And uh, the state pension over a full 35 years is equivalent to about 300 pounds uh, a year. So for every year that an expat contributes back still into the UK national insurance system, they get an extra 300 pounds a year uh, tax uh, a pension when, when they reach the UK state retirement age. Now, post-Brexit, UK expats can claim their, their UK state pension. There's no EU rules apply. If you're an EU expat within the EU, slightly different rules apply uh, when you come to state pension. But for a UK expat, um, if they maintain social insurance, national insurance in the UK, even though they're expat abroad, then they can uh, get uh, 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 contributions towards a UK state pension when they retire. Class two has been abolished for self-employed people in the UK. It's been abolished for a, a self-employed contractor working for a UK company, even if he's working abroad. However, that expat then doesn't have class four contributions to pay for. Um, normally, uh, other expats would pay class three voluntary contributions. Now that's 900 pounds a year. 900 pounds a year, a voluntary contribution is still a good contribution to receive 300 pound a year state pension. Um, and and it, it can be worthwhile for an expat to maintain that. If a, if a UK expat is living and working abroad, uh, in a country with a reciprocal social insurance agreement, not a reciprocal double taxation treaty, but a reciprocal social insurance agreement, which includes the EU, all the countries in the EU, it includes other countries like Turkey. Um, if there's a reciprocal social insurance agreement, um, then if you're working abroad in that country and you're as an employee and you pay uh, a tax and social insurance in that country, those credits can be transferred back to the UK. So a UK expat working in Spain uh, and paying social insurance in Spain for 10 years could have that credit towards their uh, UK state pension when they retire. Uh, if you're not working abroad, either you're living off investments uh, or you're, um, <clears throat> you're not in a country with a reciprocal agreement, um, um, then you may choose to continue to contribute towards your UK state pension. Now, if you've long-term living in the EU, you could potentially get an EU state pension and a UK state pension if you make enough contributions to two separate systems. But this is your choice. Um, and, and it's an investment decision that um, expats can take when they're living and working abroad. For more information, contact us at productpartnership.com. <clears throat> Healthcare is another part of the journey going abroad. Uh, expats coming into the UK, as soon as they're resident in the UK, 
qualify for the NHS treatment for them and their families, um, <clears throat> which makes the UK quite an attractive place to come if you've got family needs. On the reverse side, as soon as you leave the UK, even if you're a UK domicile and UK uh, citizen, you lose the right to the NHS treatment straight away. There's a, a tra health travel card, which you can use in countries with a reciprocal social insurance agreement, uh, but you need to get that before you leave the UK. The other thing that expats can get if they're living and working abroad on a short-term contract for six months, a year, two years, they can get an S1. So normally an S1 in the UK is issued to retired expats to get transferred healthcare in their new country of residence. Um, if an expat, UK expat, goes to live and work abroad in another country, they need to qualify under those rules for the state system. So some countries like Portugal are like the UK, that once you're legally resident, you, you qualify for the health service. Other countries require you to make social insurance contributions, so it's a very, very limited liability. But if there's a reciprocal health care arrangement, a UK expat can get an S1 form uh, which allows them to transfer and get healthcare in that other country, even if they're not paying social insurance for up to two years. So again, it can be quite a good saving. You may still want your private medical cover, but it can actually cover you for that. And it's part of the nuance of understanding um, what is your rights as a citizen and as a taxpayer against your work and, and your pay and your earnings as a sole trader, an employee, or a contractor. For more information and guidance, contact us at privatepartnership.com. So let's summarize what we've said today. <clears throat> when an expat goes abroad, there's some fundamental basics and rules that they need to consider uh, for them and for their family. Any, any uh, people that are married in your family, that's dependent children uh, under 18, um, uh, or um, a married partner, uh, with a, 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 a civil um, marriage partner, uh, those people all count as your family and all give you potential cover to transfer benefits. Uh, you can transfer your health care to another country on a short-term contract if you're working or on a longer-term basis if you retire abroad. If you've got an overseas property in another country, then subject to the that that country, that EU country's rules, you can potentially get a resident permit and that allows you to um, stay uh, longer periods of, uh, in that country, more than the short stay rules of 90 days. If you're working abroad for more than 90 days in a country, your employer from the UK should be paying tax and social insurance in that second country if you're there for more than 90 days. So just, just consider that as an option. The, <clears throat> if you do need to pay social insurance in that other country, it can give you benefits, which could be transferred back to the UK when you retire back to the UK or return to the UK, or it could also give you healthcare and pension benefits in that country as well. Um, there is also the fact that it's the law to pay tax and social insurance. Um, uh, but it's about having strategies that work for you uh, and understanding the basics and the fundamentals to protect your family against the cost of private medical insurance 
um, against the cost of accidental injury, accident, uh, health issues or, or death and, and, and protect your family with tax deductible expenses that work for you as a prudent investment in your long-term future. For more information and guidance on uh, working abroad um, as an employee or as a contractor uh, for yourself or for an employer uh, and the resident permits that are required, contact us at projectpartnership.com. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time.